This is Encounter on VOA. Here's Carol Castiel. Welcome to Encounter on the Voice of America on this edition of the program, The View from Western Pennsylvania. Hello again, I'm Carol Castiel. Listeners may recall that prior to the 2020 election, I spoke with senior representatives of the Republican and Democratic parties about their respective odds for winning the White House in this important battleground state, which former President Donald Trump clinched in 2016. Both guests predicted that then-Democratic nominee, now President, Joe Biden, would eke out a statewide victory, and he did. However, former President Trump did garner more votes in Lawrence County, where we are right now. Six months into the Biden administration, I've decided to return to my hometown of Newcastle, Pennsylvania, to take the political temperature in this battleground state. On this edition of Encounter, I will ask our guests how they and their respective party faithful judge President Biden's performance in office thus far. We will also discuss what impact the COVID pandemic and the Delta variant has had on economic fortunes in this once thriving small town, which has lost population and industry over the past decades. Are they optimistic about the passage of a nearly $1 trillion national infrastructure plan, which a bipartisan group of senators are feverishly attempting to draft and pass into legislation? What about the larger human infrastructure package that Democrats alone would like to pass in tandem? Pennsylvania looms large also in the upcoming 2022 congressional elections, and we will ask our guests what they think the chances are for their respective candidates for Congress and Senate as well as if they believe the Democrats can retain control of the House of Representatives or if it may flip to Republican control. So with us for an update on the politics of Western Pennsylvania are Paul Stefano, chairman of the Democratic Party of Lawrence County, and Richard Flannery, a prominent lawyer and leader in the local and state Republican Party. Loyal listeners may remember that both panelists appeared on Press Conference USA several weeks prior to the 2020 election, and we are excited to speak with them again. And we are coming to you from Richard Flannery's law office here in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. Gentlemen, once again, welcome back to the program. And Richard, thanks so much for hosting us at your office where we have maintained the proper social distancing to conduct this interview. (laughs) Well, let me begin with you, Paul Stefano, our Democratic representative. Since the election, Paul, how would you assess the Biden administration's performance thus far from your and the Democratic perspective? Since the inauguration, I think the administration has done a good job with the vaccine delivery. It could be better, but then again, the delivery hasn't been the problem. Sometimes just the willingness of some of our fellow citizens to get the vaccine has been an issue. As far as what Biden has done with his policy proposals, I think they've kind of been a good merger of different wings of the party. And I think it's an attempt also to maybe look to the future of the party and look at some policy problems that will pop up and how we're going to deal with them. You know, he is a moderate, I guess you'd say, or a moderate liberal, however we use those phrases. He's not part of the new, more liberal wing or the progressive wing of the party, but his policy proposals aren't in opposition. And I think some of that stuff probably needed to happen. But I also think 
With the lack of drama, it's been good for the country that you don't have an everyday unusual event coming from the White House or a statement, and you're like, what did that mean? And you're, of course, you know, referring to former President the Trump. Former President Trump. And I can say this, in, in Lawrence County, our Democrats are very pro-Biden. And so most of the people in our party are happy with him at our county level. I think nationally it's been the same, but at the county level, he's been good for us as a party. Now I'd like to turn to Richard Flannery, our Republican representative. For your perspective, Richard, how do you as a Republican assess the Biden administration thus far? We remember that former President Trump warned the country that, you know, the stock market would crash, that things would really go south, so to speak. But nonetheless, I'd like to get your take on how you think the Biden administration is performing thus far. To me, it's a mixed bag. Uh, What has me most concerned in the broader scope is that I do believe that he is moving with the progressives. I think Bernie Sanders has him. Uh, I think we're we're seeing it in the $3.5 trillion infrastructure bill, which is a huge socialistic approach to government. As far as the, the COVID thing goes, I think that President Biden did a very good job getting started on the handling of the virus and getting people to get the shots. But this thing is a moving target, and, and I can't say that it's his fault, but it's getting confusing as to what comes out of the White House about safety measures, and uh, so that's, that's got me concerned. Another thing that has me concerned is I think that it can become too political in handling the, the virus, and I, th- I blame both sides for that. Turning back to you, Paul Stefano, let's pick up where Richard Flannery left off and get a little more into the weeds about Biden's performance. So let me go back to the infrastructure bill. I didn't get Richard's assessment of the bipartisan bill, but I will in a minute. We have the bipartisan bill that I mentioned in my introduction that looks like it's going to happen. That has bipartisan, both Republican and Democratic support and of the White House. But he did allude to, that is Richard, this three and a half trillion or more human infrastructure package, which would deal with climate change, which would deal with health care, child care, and so forth. How optimistic are you that the Democrats can pass this by themselves? Do you think it's doable? Do you think it's exaggerated? How do you and the Democrats see that? I think, as for the first infrastructure package, I think should that pass, I think that's really going to set the tone for the administration for the 2022 elections. Because part of the promise of Biden, according to his own campaigning, is this belief that we can do things in a bipartisan manner, that we can reach across the aisle. So I think that infrastructure plan, I do think it'll pass. And I think it somewhat has to for the administration to really show leadership. As for the human infrastructure and and the things that deal with climate change, I'm not sure entirely how that's going to turn out. It's probably going to go through reconciliation. We'll see how the votes shake out. I personally agree with a good chunk of it because I think some of it we just have to do on a federal level. We're not going to have an energy transition without us all being on the same page. That can't be done kind of state by state, so that's going to have to happen federally. And while it is a huge cost, I tend to believe it's stuff that has to happen for the future. Richard Flannery, let me get you to weigh in on, you've of course talked about the human infrastructure package to which you're opposed But what about this bipartisan bill? Do you think that's a good idea? And will Newcastle, Pennsylvania and Lawrence County in general benefit from the repair of bridges, roads, etc.? 
No, I have no problem with that bill. I think it's a good bill from what I've seen, and I think it would be apparent to me that our community would benefit. I would agree with Paul that it's going to be helpful to the president in the midterm election, but the problem the president's going to have, that on the $3.5 trillion bill, that's not going to be bipartisan, in my view, and that's going to overcome the benefit of bipartisanship that Biden might get from the other bill. To me, bipartisanship is a major issue. And another thing that bothers me about this $3.5 trillion bill, there may be some good things in there, but there are a lot of things in there that I'm not so sure about. If I'm seeing this right, there's going to be immigration issues in there, which could be problematic. Free education, a college education, forgiveness of student loans. If, if that's part of it, that's a concern for me. We can sit here and say that socialism, we've got some of that going on as it is. I mean, we've got Social Security right. and uh, Medicare, uh, free public education. And the question is, how far do you take it? And we've got people like uh, the so-called independent Senator Sanders who wants to go the whole way. And I feel that he has too much influence over the president. So, Paul Stefano, let me ask you, if you think that Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, the independent who caucuses with the Democrats, but who is a self-described democratic socialist, do you think he has undue influence? Or do you think that Biden is managing him and the other left wing of the party pretty well and just giving them an opportunity with this human infrastructure package, but insisting on as much bipartisanship as possible? I don't think he has too much undue influence because most of his supporters still really don't think Biden's going far enough. And I tend to think that if he had that influence on Biden, you wouldn't hear from maybe that progressive wing that they're not happy with certain things in that first bill or the second bill, because there's already been more complaints about both, but it's been from that wing. So I think if Bernie was more, we'll say, really influencing Biden, we would be hearing more complimentary things from our progressive wing. I'm not a Sanders supporter. I don't disagree with him on everything. And I tend not to agree with the progressive wing on the bulk of issues, but occasionally I do. And I think we would see them a little bit more in support of some of Biden's proposals if Sanders had a larger role. So I guess I do disagree in that sense of it. Okay, let me ask you before we go to the break, how you see the evolution of the Democratic Party right now, because there is a lot of influence on the so-called left wing of the party. And yet you have Biden, who is a self-described moderate. I think if you look at his record and what he promotes, one would describe him as a moderate centrist. But where's the party going, would you say, uh, in the coming years? Well, I think in some ways we're going, I don't know if I should call it back to the future. The last time we had inequality like this, we had the 1930s. We had the New Deal, and FDR was not liked by the progressives of that time. Not saying we're going towards a New Deal, although some use the term of the Green New Deal and everything, and not to say that Biden is going to be our version of an FDR, but we're in very similar times to 90 years ago. And so I think you tend to have maybe more radical policy prescriptions that come up. I mean, there were people in the 30s that were full-blown socialists. There were full-blown communists at that time that had, a, we'll say, a more prominent role in American politics. So I tend to think that our party is maybe just 
in some ways picking up what would be the modern policy prescriptions and going back to maybe a New Deal type of thinking. Remember, we lived through the last 40 years, especially the last 30, of what was called triangulation, the Clinton era of how do we keep the right wing happy, and there was always this kind of thing of how do we get the Reagan voter back, and I think now we're dealing with maybe a new generation that's looking at totally different policy prescriptions. I'm not totally on that side of the party. But I think historically, we're in a time where that might just be happening again. Richard Flannery, I'd like to get your perspective on how you characterize the Republican Party. Most analysts say this is Trump's party. In other words, he really dominates at the national level. And I'd like to know whether you think that is also true, particularly when we saw recently uh, he keeps contesting the election, which courts and recounts have shown that He lost and Joe Biden won, and his grievances keep fueling what people call the base of the party. And so he has taken control. What is your perspective on that? And particularly locally, you know, if you're having tensions within the party. Okay, I'll get to that. But I find what Paul just said rather interesting, and I'm inclined to concur with his observation. I was talking to my daughter about this a few days ago. And the generational thing is a factor in what's going on here. The younger generation of people are going to be more moderate in their thinking than uh, the older that are more conservative. Now, getting to the party, Donald Trump is like a, an elephant in the room or wherever you want to say. Uh, he's got a lot of money. He's got a lot of support. He has a base he's going to have to be contended with. Unfortunately, from my perspective, there are a lot of people that don't recognize that it's time to move on and to find somebody else to lead the party and run for president. This idea that the election was stolen, a lot of people believe it. I do not believe it. And I'm confident that it was not stolen. And I just think that I don't know how it's going to get turned out. I think the midterm election, and there's been a couple already, and I think Trump had a candidate maybe in Ohio or Texas that didn't make it. We need more of that to send out the message. You're listening to Encounter on The Voice of America. I'm Carol Castiel. My guests are Paul Stefano chairman of the Democratic Party of Lawrence County in western Pennsylvania, and attorney Richard Flannery, a member of the Republican leadership in Lawrence County, from whom you just heard. And we are coming to you from none other than Newcastle, Pennsylvania, where they both reside and where I was born. We are discussing the reactions of Republicans and Democrats in Pennsylvania to the Biden administration thus far. And this is a reminder that our Encounter podcast is available on our website, at voanews.com slash encounter. You may also follow us on Twitter or connect with us on Facebook at Carol Castiel VOA. Well, here's a big shout out to a loyal listener and Facebook fan, McFaisal McFaisal from Allure, India. If you want to hear your name and home country on the air, please send us an email or like us and leave a comment on our Facebook page. Well, back to our discussion with our Republican and Democratic colleagues here in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. So back to you, Paul Stefano. I'd like to continue talking about former President Trump's continued allegations that he really won the election when that is not true and continuing to litigate, so to speak. And that led to what many analysts say are a slew of voting rights bills in mostly Republican-controlled states. And some would argue that the Democrats are now sort of fighting uphill because they're seeing more restrictive voting rights. And we've seen now a couple of laws 
in Arizona being upheld, which are more restrictive by the Supreme Court. So what's your take on this trend we're seeing in the Republican Party and how the Democrats are reacting and trying to get the so-called For the People Act passed, which many people say is not going to happen, or at least the John Lewis Voting Advancement Rights Act to help bring back integrity to the Voting Rights Act? Ultimately, I think we want fair and square. And I think the Trump claim is nonsense. And it does fuel a lot of this legislation we're seeing. But I do think it's nonsense. Biden won fair and square. And sadly, we lost House seats fair and square. That is right. So I'm not happy about that. But I do think it was honest. I like the For the People Act. I question if it would have been a wiser move from the legislative perspective to break up that into multiple bills that you could have run. There are some people saying they don't support the For the People Act, but they support components of it. And maybe it would have been better to break up the parts of it and run it as separate legislation. And the John Lewis, the John Lewis Act, you know, I support also. But with legislation, sometimes getting it through is the goal. You know, and sometimes you can't look at things in a big, grand way, but you just have to kind of piece by piece move forward. I have concerns about all those pieces of legislation that are moving around. But, and I guess I'm going to say something the opposite, but I'm just going to say it. If those pass, there's two things that I guess my party just has to do. One is start paying more attention to local areas, local elections, statewide elections, and areas that are deemed red and go and organize there and communicate there. And the other part is, however you have to do it legally, we simply have to get our voters to vote, however you vote, whether it's by mail, whether it's Dropbox or whatever. We have to figure out the lay of the land as it is and play by those rules and simply get people to vote. Because in the end, look, if a majority of voters are with you, you're going to win the election in our system. And so we have to just generate that instead of necessarily complaining about it. And I hate to say that because I'm complaining about it. But at the same time, in a year, if we have to play by a different set of rules, then we have to do it. So Richard Flannery, I'd like to get your view on what we're seeing in terms of lots of more restrictive voting laws emanating from Republican-controlled states. And I want to take something that Paul Stefano said and apply it to Republicans. This is what some analysts are saying, that instead of implementing more restrictive voting laws, what about what Paul said with respect to Democrats? Republicans, you know, just trying to get more voters, because we are seeing, objectively speaking, that their voting base is shrinking. What is your view on these laws, and do you think that they're legitimate? Frankly, I think the laws are legitimate. I do note that I have not read these laws, but I, when I see them analyzed by people that have were involved in putting them together, the reporting on what these laws are saying is not correct. And I wish I could give you a great example right now, but I can't. And the other thing is, of course, how much does the federal government have a right to get involved in this? We're a state's rights country, and uh, that's where these laws should be implemented. I take your point. You're absolutely right. We have 50 elections in the national election. States run the elections. I think what critics are saying and the majority of Democrats are saying that there needs to be a floor, and the perception is that these laws violate that basic floor at the national level, restricting this and that to the extent where they're really making it hard for the voter, mostly minority and 
The both sides want color. the floor to be where they want it. <laughs> and that, as far as I'm concerned, that's what Republicans are probably doing, and that's what the Democrats are doing. Paul Stefano, I want to get back to another issue that relates to the elections and former President Trump's perception, and that, of course, is the horrific January 6th attack on the Capitol and on our democracy. Let me ask you your view of the January 6th attack, how that was perceived here in Newcastle, and if there is support for the current select committee since the Senate Republicans refused to create the bipartisan committee, how is that seen, this insurrection, and former President Trump's role in inciting that event? Within the party, of course, there is this support for finding whatever did happen, and there is quite a belief within our party that perhaps there was more to it, was information provided to people in those things. I have a good Republican friend who we argued for nine months of the election, and he called me January 6th, and, you know, he was upset. I think what happened on the 6th was domestic terrorism. I don't think it represents the other party. So, Richard Flannery, let me turn to you to get your view on the insurrection and the investigation of it. And to what extent do you think President Trump's role is going to be a factor in the days ahead for Republicans? Does it hurt the Republicans and the Republican brand? How do you see it? Well, that remains to be seen. I agree with Paul. I don't think this is the Republican Party. I think the problem is Donald Trump. I feel they've got to get to the bottom of it. I'd like to see this committee do its job. And with Liz Cheney on there, that all questions that need to get asked, get asked and answered. As far as what people in this county feel about it, Republicans, I think they're disturbed that it happened. And I think they want to see an outcome in in this investigation to find out what brought this on. Right now, it does not look good for Donald Trump. As we close, Paul Stefano, let's look ahead to the 2022 midterm elections. Everybody knows in the United States that the party that holds the White House, the House of Representatives, and the Senate is very likely to lose seats in the midterms. And the Democrats have a very slim majority in the House of Representatives and a razor thin, you know, in the Senate. But knowing what you know about which seats are up for grabs, at least in the Senate, and how you see what Biden is doing affecting the election. Do you think the Democrats may have a chance to hold on to one of the two houses, the one of the two chambers? I have to believe they will. And I think a lot of it will rest on the bipartisan infrastructure bill can be one component of it, showing leadership, et cetera. It will give the economy some type of boost. The human infrastructure bill, even if passed with budget reconciliation, can still be framed in some way of we're leading you forward. That small group of voters in between, you know, that now we're hearing they're the suburban voters, the group that's undecided. In 16, they went Trump. In 20, Biden. If that undecided voter breaks with what they perceive as good leadership, perhaps an economic boost, and maybe if we get around the Delta variant and we're not dealing with the next variant after that, I would like our chances. Historically, that's not necessarily what we faced, but it's not been every time. So I want to believe that we can frame those things and win the election from that. In other words, and hold... And hold the House and Senate, but actually hopefully gain gain in the Senate so that we're not at this 50-50 with the tiebreaker. Okay. So, Richard Flannery, you get the last word on how you see the 2022 midterms turning out. Do you think... The Republicans can prevail as they normally would historically uh, as the out party, as we say. What are the factors you think will determine who holds the House Senate? I don't know what the last word is. 
but I'll give it a shot. The Republicans have a very good chance of taking the House. And I, I think it's going to depend a lot on whether the president is a leader like Paul thinks he'll be judged or whether he's too much of a progressive trying to bring about socialism. Even though he may not be in Bernie Sanders' camp, I think he's leaning that direction. So I think that's going to have a lot to do with it. And what about former President Trump? Does he have any sway, and would that be positive or negative in your view? He's going to have some sway. Obviously, it's positive if it gets people elected. But I just don't think he was presidential. The people in Lawrence County are still for him. I mean, uh, so I'm out there when it comes to talking about Donald Trump. It remains to be seen. Well, on that dubious note, I'm afraid that's all the time we have on this edition of Encounter. I'd like to thank my guest, Paul Stefano, chairman of the Democratic Party of Lawrence County, and Richard Flannery, Republican activist in Pennsylvania, for their insights and analysis. Encounter was produced in Washington and Pennsylvania with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Join me again next week for another Encounter on The Voice of America.